The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, October 6th right now, and if you can't tell from my voice, I'm kind of sick. I ended up getting COVID finally. I escaped it for a very long time, but it finally happened, and I'm very sick. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You sound horrible <laughs> I'm sorry but you're not horrible but you do sound very unwell yeah I'm actually doing better it's been this is like my third day of having it um the first day was really rough I had like 102.4 fever so I was really suffering with feeling fevery like when you're just super super hot and then you're just like super super cold And then the next day, it just felt like a really bad cold and my throat hurt so, so, so bad. Like I felt like I had strep throat and super congested. I have a pretty bad cough. Then my fever went down. And now today, I don't feel as much like I have a cold. Like I'm still pretty congested, as you can hear. But now I have more so like the shortness of breath and like my chest hurts. So that's why it's kind of hard to talk and I'm talking a little slower and quieter than normal because I just get winded so easily. You're a real trooper. You look <laughs> with it. I know. Like I feel like it was, you know, I can't believe that both of us dodged it apparently this far, but um, yeah, I, I, it was probably inevitable, but you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. I luckily <laughs> got three days off of work, but I'm supposed to go back tomorrow which is annoying because it's Friday, so it's like I'm going back for one day. At least, I guess, it's only one day. You can get back into it a little bit slowly then rather than going back on a Monday for the whole day. Yeah, and it's like I'll feel okay when I'm just like not doing anything, but then I start doing like a chore or something and I'm like, ugh, I'm so fucking exhausted. Mm. It'll take you a while to build your energy back up and your, yeah, I guess your stamina back up too. Yeah, but... Mike hasn't gotten it yet. He's still feeling fine, I guess. We tested him a few times and he's negative. So Has I guess anyone we else shall see. You know, got it? Like, do you know where you got it from? No, I mean, one of the coworkers also called out sick the same day I did because he had a fever and like a bad cold. And I texted him and I was like, oh, I heard you're sick. Well, I just tested myself and I have COVID he was like well I took he's like I started feeling sick yesterday and I took a test and it was negative I took a test again today and it was negative and I was like there's no way that we're both sick with bad colds with fevers and only one of us has COVID I and feel then, like the home rapid tests are, can be quite unreliable like obviously same. I'm not a scientist but I know a guy at work and he was so sick and he could not get a positive rapid test and he went and got a PCR test and he was um positive so uh, yeah, I feel the same way because then and then another coworker of mine, he texted me as like a joke and he was like, I swear if you ruin my not catching COVID rain, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and then the next day text me, it was like, well, I have COVID. Oh, I feel like too, I, again, I'm not a scientist or a medical person, so don't come at me, but sometimes I feel like the 
test results have to do with the actual viral load too. Like you can have a lower viral load and may not test positive on the test. Well, and even when you're taking the test and you're reading the directions and everything, there's so many things where it's like, if you do this step wrong, it could mess up the whole test. And if you do this step wrong, it could mess up the whole test. It's like, you only have to do six drops and you can only turn it this many times. And I'm like, there's a lot of ways to fuck this up. Most of the te- when you sent me a photo of your test too, your tests look so different to ours. <laughs> I guess there's a well, lot I've of. Well, I've had um, the ones that variation. the other little ones that you plasticky, had. plastic kind yeah. of rectangle ones. Yeah, there's all different ones. Um, I don't know. You just get what you get. I guess <laughs> I've never ever seen the ones here that you have. Maybe that's like an American type really? one. That yeah. one's the the Binax ones. Is that a pa- Is it paper? It's like you a have a. You have like a cardboard little booklet and it like opens up and it's you put in some drops of this liquid. There's like two holes in it, which is kind of like the plastic ones. And so you put the drops in and then you swab your nose with a swab and then you like push the nasal swab thing into like a little pocket kind that's in it and you twist it around and then you close the cardboard like a book over it and then like Mm. little pH strip type thing touches it and goes I always wonder what impact this is going to have on the environment, all these little tiny plastic tests. So maybe the cardboard one is more environmentally friendly. Yeah, I don't know. But I feel like I've just – I don't know where I got it from. Like I had to go to a work thing last weekend, but then I also like went to a fair type thing. And the weekend before that, I was upstate. I feel like I've done so many things that I don't even know where I got it from or who I could have exposed but all my coworkers are probably going to blame me because I was like the first to officially have it, I guess. <laughs> You've all dodged it this long. It was inevitable. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I didn't want to go to the work dinner and you all forced me to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good lesson. Good lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, just let me be antisocial. <laughs> Someone actually messaged me and said, well, actually a lot of people messaged me and told me to get better, which um, thank you yeah. for that. And a lot of but, them had um, nice suggestions when you said in the last episode that you were feeling sick. They're like, maybe you should t- test this and try this. So they were all yeah. very <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. I wonder if that's why I was feeling sick too, like if I had been exposed already. Mm. But um, fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so people were messaging me and someone was like, you got COVID because you've been having such a fulfilling life lately. And I was like, it's true. <laughs> you haven't been at home with your cat, so you've had a fulfilling life. <laughs> no. Like, I've clearly been fulfilled. Like, I have COVID now. Oh, my God. Peep. She's sleeping on the keyboard. Stop. <laughs> nice and warm. I've also heard cats can get COVID, so I'm just, like, nervous. Like, what happens if they get COVID? Mm, I haven't heard that. <laughs> I looked it up because I'm a psychopath. <laughs> but it's, nothing else says, like, what happens. They're just, like, careful because cats and dogs can get COVID. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. I feel like she'll be fine. Is it a she? Is paper she? Already? <laughs> yeah. Keeps a girl. Fresh butts a boy. <laughs> I knew there was one of each. I just couldn't remember which was which. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I forgot to show you it. Or maybe I did send it to you, but someone sent a, a message to the True Crime Society Instagram today of some horses playing with an echidna. And they're like, oh, so that's ah, what an echidna is. I'll have to no, send it to you after. I haven't seen it. I still haven't seen Elmo again. I like, uh-huh. there's been lots of sightings of echidnas on our neighborhood Facebook page, but he hasn't come back here. So, rude. <laughs> 
rude. But anyways, what's what's up with you? You're getting ready to go on a trip. Yeah, we're flying tomorrow to Queensland, which is like a state here. For anyone who doesn't know, it's just the state above us. So it'll be a little bit warmer, which will be nice. The weather here is, again, crazy. I just feel like a broken record. There's some rain bomb coming here tomorrow, I think, where there's going to be tons and tons of rain. But the weather up there looks better, which is good. Um, yeah, so that'll be exciting. I'm so unorganized. We haven't packed. One of my daughters is at a sleepover, so we've I've got to go and pick her up after this, <clears throat> get organized, pack. Um, yeah, but no, it'll be good. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like I've just been away all the time, but I guess making up for two years of no, no holidays or no vacations, but that's it now for us for a long time. So yeah, yeah no, it'll yeah. be nice. We've booked in to go to Dreamworld, which is a theme park up there. Um, so the kids are very excited about that. It'll just be nice. A quick little getaway for a week. It'll be lovely. Hopefully no one gets COVID because it oh, fucking sucks. No <laughs> You're the last survivor. <laughs> I was reading um so here they've stopped doing daily COVID updates so every day they used to give the COVID numbers I'd say x thousand per day now they do it weekly um but um so the latest update was the current wave of COVID continues to decline the hospitalization is at the lowest it has been any time in 2022 I'm like oh wow that's great news but then the next thing says <laughs> we're closely monitoring S gene target failure and sequencing data in relation to BA2 sublineages there are some early suggestions that BA 2.75 infections are increasing <laughs> mm. so I'm like wow here we go again just when I was gonna- reading about mine I saw people saying like the BA5 one's the worst oh my but I also thought Delta was the worst so I don't know anyway at least how do you even know which one you have (laughs) i don't know i don't even know if they i guess if you do a proper test they test for it but yeah i don't know anyway people some people are gonna hate this because they're like why are you still talking about covid (laughs) i know i was thinking i was like people used to be like stop talking about covid i'm like okay well bitch now i have it so i can talk about it (laughs) i feel like we have stopped but now we are allowed for this few minutes because you have covid now okay because i sound like an asshole (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get on with it now. But yeah. excuse my suffering. Um, Olivia might have to take over for my half, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Lucky I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so does everyone because they like your accent. Um, okay. So today we're going to talk about a case that I think a lot of people have probably heard of. I don't know, actually. Uh, her name's Ellen Ray Greenberg. And this one it's a weird case because there's a big controversy on if her death was a suicide or a murder because it was ruled a suicide, but it kind of seems like it's not a suicide. It's so a very not to, messy case, yeah. Yeah, not to like give anything away in the intro, but you'll see as we go along that it's very strange. So definitely stick around if you're you're into that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Loud cars. <laughs> Anyways, it's kind of making this case is making its rounds again and kind of popping up again because um, the case is being reopened to actually look into the cause of death a little bit more because it is so weird. So that's why we decided that we would cover it because a lot of people have been asking that have heard about it. It should have been the most joyful time of Ellen Greenberg's life. She was engaged to be married, so we were planning a wedding. The only child of Josh and Sandy Greenberg. That's a beautiful picture. 27-year-old Ellen was a beloved first-grade school teacher in Philadelphia. She was just a ray of sunshine. She loved life. She loved people. 
and bringing people together. But just four days after Ellen sent out save-the-date notices for her wedding, the unthinkable. I had made dinner. We were watching TV, and um, our landline rang. Ellen's fiancé, Sam Goldberg, a television producer, had gone to the gym. When he returned, the latch on the apartment was locked. Nothing could have prepared him for the gruesome discovery behind that door. Everything stopped. The world stopped. Yeah. What else could you say? Ellen was found stabbed 20 times, 10 wounds on the back of her neck, one to the scalp, also stabbed in the abdomen, and eight times to the chest. The knife was still lodged in her chest when she was found. But with no forced entry and no defense wounds, detectives concluded her death was a suicide. But her parents strongly disagree. And what does that say to you? It says to me it's murder. Okay, so this happened in 2011, so we'll start with some background on Ellen like we normally do. Um, She was born Ellen Ray Greenberg on June 23rd, 1983, and she was an only child, and her parents were Joshua and Sandra Greenberg, and they lived in New York City. Ellen graduated from Penn State as a communications major and considered becoming a speech pathologist. She, She ended up going to Temple University to become a teacher. And she recently obtained her master's degree and was certified in reading specialty. So at the time of her death, Ellen, she was 27 years old and she was a first grade teacher in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she lived with her partner, Samuel Sam Goldberg, in an apartment in Manayunk, Philadelphia. Sam was a television producer for NBC and later Golf.com. We believe that they had been a couple for three years and got engaged in the summer of 2010. So on January 26, 2011, the weather was bad and the school where Ellen taught closed early so that everyone could get home before the blizzard. Um, there's a really comprehensive website called gavinfish.com. It's G-A-V-I-N-F-I-S-H.com. Um, there's a lot of official documents there on the case. So some of the information that we got for this episode is from there, but it's worth checking out if you guys want to see some of the documents from the case. I have to say, it's one of the most comprehensive websites I have ever seen in my life. He's done such a good job. He's covered a few other cases as well. But when I came across this, I was like, oh, my goodness. I I have never, ever, ever seen such a good website. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's so much information. Yeah. Okay, so on the day that this happened, Sam, the fiancé, he left the apartment around 4.45 p.m. to go to the gym. Um, So from how the medical examiner report reads – Ellen, she was at home. It says he left the decedent to go to the gym. So interestingly, it states that Sam was wearing Timberland boots to go to the gym, which some people have pointed out as being unusual, which obviously it would be. I think it is unusual, but then he could have been going to do his arms, could have been arm day. Like, you know, I feel like there's... If you if you just... If your gym is in your building, you can just pop down for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's unusual, but it's not totally out of the realm of something that someone would do. Yeah. I wonder if it was in the building or if it was in like, if it was an apartment complex. I think what I've read is that the fitness um, room was either in the basement or kind of the ground floor. So they were on the sixth floor, I believe. So Mm. it was still in the complex. He didn't have to leave the complex to go to the gym, but it was not. So I was wondering if he, because. Sometimes, like here when it snows, I'll wear like winter boots to go where I'm going when it's snowy, but then I'll change into like regular shoes to wear for the day at work or something. Yeah. So I was like, maybe he put those on 
if it was snowing, but that wouldn't make sense if you didn't have to go outside. There's some photos online, which I'll put on the blog of the fitness room, I assume. Like it looks like a very nice apartment complex. Um, I don't know if it's been renovated since they lived there because it all looks very new. The fitness room looks amazing. There's like treadmills, like it looks very high tech. So, you know, yeah, it's, it looks like a very nice place to live. Yeah. But keep note of the, the boots. Cause that's like a big point discussion point to people. Yeah. So Sam came back to their apartment between 5.15 and 5.30, so he wasn't gone very long. He was only gone like half an hour, I think. Half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. So he had his keys, but he was unable to unlock the door because it was bolted from the inside. It had one of those – it wasn't like a deadbolt. It's like one of those hotel latch locks. Kind of like a that, flip like, flaps flips so over. You, yeah, you flip yeah. it over the peg on one side of the door. I've, there's photos of the actual latch on the blog too if you want to have a look at exactly what we mean. Yeah, it's like the hotels usually have it. Some apartments yeah. have it, but the one that flips over. So since he couldn't get in, he started frantically trying to get in touch with Ellen. He called her, sent her text messages and emails for around an hour with no response. Did he call her? Because I saw some people being like, well, why wouldn't he just call her? Um, so a lot of the um, who he actually called is redacted. I don't mm. actually know if he did call Ellen, but it says I think he sent her an email and text. He definitely sent her an email and text. I'm not entirely sure if he tried to call her. I feel like I have heard in other podcasts that he did and she didn't answer, but I'm not. that isn't in the medical examiner report, so I'm not entirely sure on that but he sent her nine oh, why would he email? <laughs> I know he sent her nine texts so like I don't know I'm you know if I couldn't get into my house I'd be messaging Joe and I'd be like hi what, where are you what's going on why aren't you opening the door you know like but he yeah, kind of and I would just be like calling like non-stop and bank yeah like it's only an apartment like you like I guess he probably banged for a while but anyway these are the texts that he sent he sent nine texts apparently so the first one said hello the second one said, open the door. The third one, what are you doing? The next one, I'm getting pissed. The fifth one, hello. Sixth one, you better have an excuse. Seven, what the fuck? Eight, ah, uh, like A-H-H-H. Nine. Like screaming. Yeah, like, ah, let me in. Nine, <laughs> you, you have no idea. So, I don't know, interesting messages to send to you know your partner when you're when you've been locked out of the house seems kind of like a douchebag yeah yeah there was like a an in, not an incident there was a time a few weeks ago where I couldn't get hold of Joe my husband is always on his phone so when I couldn't get hold of him for an hour I'm like oh my gosh what's happened what's happened and I like my message is like are you okay where are you what's happened yeah but you wouldn't um, be like you fucking piece of shit you better have an excuse <laughs> so yeah it does seem very mad for someone who's aggressive been locked out. yeah yeah So after she didn't answer, Sam ended up forcing his way inside, and he immediately discovered Ellen on the floor of their kitchen. Her upper body was propped up against the cabinets, and her legs were splayed out in front of her. A call for help was made at 6.33 p.m. He was briefly told to start CPR, but he stopped when she noticed a knife sticking out of Ellen's chest. Medics responded and pronounced Ellen dead at 6.40 p.m. This is the 911 call. It's five minutes long, but I'm just going to put the whole clip in. It doesn't really seem like five minutes because it's interesting. So we'll play that here. Help, I, I, I need an emergency. 
Yeah, I just, I just walked to the right part. My fiance is on the floor with blood everywhere. What is the address? Forty-six zero one Flat Rock Road. Please come help 4601 now. Flat Rock Road. Is this a house or apartment? Oh no! Oh no! It's an apartment. What apartment number? Please hurry, please. She's bleeding from. She, I don't know. I can't tell. She's. So you have to calm yourself down in order to get you some help. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She, I don't know. I, I'm looking at her right now. She, I don't, I can't see anything. She didn't, there's nothing broken. She's bleeding. Ellie. You don't know where she's bleeding from, can you? Ellie. Blood's coming from. It's, I think her head. I think she hit her head, I think. I think but it's all it's everywhere. Okay, so it's everywhere. She might have fallen. Do you know yeah. what happened? She, she, she may have slipped There's blood on the, on the table. Her, her face is a little purple. Okay, hold on for rescue for her. Stay on the phone. Philadelphia Fire Department 842, what's the address? No, uh, 4601 Flat Rock Road, please hurry. 4601 Flat Rock? Yes. What's wrong? My, my, I just, my, I went downstairs to go work out, I came back up, the door was latched. My fiance's inside, she wasn't, she wasn't answering, so after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now, just on the floor, blood, she's not, she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? She, I, Look at her chest. I need you to calm down, and I need you to look at her chest. It's really. I don't think she. I really don't think she is. Listen to me. Someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? <laughs> She's on her back. So okay, I bring her. Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. Okay. Do you know how to do CPR? I don't. Okay. I can tell you what to do. Okay. Until they get there, I want you to keep her. Oh God. Hello. Yeah, hi, okay. Are you willing to do CPR with me over the phone so they can I, get I, I have to, right? Okay, so get her flat on her back, bare her chest, okay? You want to rip her shirt off. Okay, kneel down by her side. Oh, my God. Allie, please. Listen, listen, you can't freak out, sir, because you Okay, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. Her shirt won't come off. It's a zipper. Rip oh, my off. God, she stabbed herself. Where? She fell in a knife. Oh, no, her knife's sticking out. Her uh, what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, she stabbed herself? I, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, so, so I'm just about to let her down. Here now? I mean, what do I do? No, I mean, you can't. If the knife is in her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do CPR at this time. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Police, which operator? 277. Is All someone right, coming here? Yes, they are. You said 4601 Flat Rock, right? Yes. Okay, someone's on the way, and the knife is still inside? Which or what? The knife is still inside of her? Yes, I didn't take it out. Is it her chest or what area? It's, it's in her chest. Like, it looks like it's, it looks like it's right in her heart. Okay, someone's on the way out there, okay? Just get oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. How old is she? She's 27. 27, and there's no sign of life at all? No, 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 please don't be. What? Been turned to her arm and tell me she responds to pain. She's. Ellie! She's not, she's not. Her arm and her hands are still warm. I don't know what that means. But there's blood everywhere. I mean. I know, but you can't. And the knife is still inside of her. How far? Can you see how far it went in? It looks pretty deep. Okay. It looks three and it's a long knife. Don't touch anything. Yeah, don't uh, touch anything, okay? I'm not touching anything. This is re I can't believe this, though. No, wait, it was just you there with her? We, yeah, we're the only ones here. 
And she ran in the door. You said latched it shut. No, no. I I I went downstairs to work out, and I, when I came back up, the door was latched. Like it was, you know, it wasn't like it was, you know, it was like locked from the inside. And I'm yelling, and I saw it was from you know, yelling. Was your house broken into? No, 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 no. So there's no sign of a break-in. No, no sign of a break-in at all. I mean, there will be when you get here because I had to break the latch, but to get in. Okay, forty-six zero one Flat Rock, and this is a house, right? It's an apartment. Flat Rock apartment. Okay, that'll help. Oh my God! Oh my God! All right, thank you. I've seen a lot of comments where people say this is one of the most kind of bizarre and interesting 911 calls that they've ever heard. And I would have to agree with that. Um, Like you can hear that he calls and he's like, she's hit her head. She's hit her head. There's, I I think he says there's not much blood. Um, But then he doesn't discover that there's a knife sticking out of her chest until they tell him to do CPR. Obviously, a lot of people are suspicious of Sam, the fiance, in the end, but part of me is like, some of the stuff he's saying in this call is like too fucking stupid, to be honest, to be like, he planned this in advance and knows what's going on. Cause I'm like, I feel like he's under the assumption that since the door was locked, that no one was inside. So he just assumes initially that she fell and hurt herself somehow because if the door's locked, he's like, no one got in here and murdered her. And then I'm like wondering, he didn't see the knife. So I'm like, was her hair covering it? Maybe like it's a big knife, even if it's it's in her chest. There's photos of the knife. I'll put there from the Gavin Fish website. I'll put them on the blog too, but it's a steak knife. It's not like it's a tiny little paring knife. It would have been sticking out of the, the, what do you call it? Handle would have been sticking out of her chest. I I can't believe. And especially if she's sitting up, like they said she was kind of found propped against the cabinets. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe her hair was over it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I am I also think interested how he couldn't see a steak knife sticking out of her chest. Yeah, and so then once he sees – they tell him, like, to start doing CPR, and then when he sees the knife, he's like, oh, my God, she stabbed herself, which you'd think would be, like, a weird thing to assume automatically. But I think, again, he was going off of, like, no one was inside but her because the door's locked and they lived on the sixth floor so no one else could get in. There was and then also, he's like, um, maybe she fell on the knife, which is d- a dumb thing to say too. Yeah. I, I was going to say something, but it's getting ahead. We can talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's hard to – because some <laughs> of it would go more under like theories. Mm. So, But yeah, a lot of what he says is just fucking stupid, I think. And even I found it interesting how I, – I, I'm paraphrasing, but when she says something to him like, is she laying f- flat on the floor? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like when he, when she tells him to start CPR. But, yeah. Um, other reports say that she was kind she of was found. Up. Yeah, so I don't know that. Seems so I don't know like if you moved her. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyway, interesting. Just kind of little discrepancies and differences are interesting. And I think a lot of people you probably listen to the call. He doesn't seem um, like too like he seems distraught, but he's not like crying or upset or anything. And he seems hysterical. Like yeah. He seems more like his adrenaline's going and he's like yeah. in shock. Yeah. Like, which I feel like is understandable. So, but some people are like, he's, he doesn't sound upset, but I think he's just like, your adrenaline's just pumping at that point. Like, you can't even believe it. Like, even when I saw someone get hit by a car and I had to call 911, and that like wasn't even someone I fucking cared about or anything like that, but I still like my adrenaline was going. You just kind of get in this zone of like, and then later you're like, what the hell just happened? Like, I don't know. It's yeah. weird. It, it is it, like, I know, obviously, you don't know 
along the lines of what you're saying, how you'd react in a situation like this. But it is very over the top. Um, it's hysterical. Maybe that is how he just reacted because of the situation. Maybe there's another reason for it. You know, I don't know. But it's interesting. It's a very interesting 911 call. Yeah. But we'll get into more of our thoughts on him at the end. So this info about the scene comes from the medical examiner report. All right. So I won't read all of it because the whole thing's on the blog. The whole medical examiner report is four pages long. But basically, um, I'll just find some interesting stuff. It does say in this, um, and so what, what I've read of some reports is that Sam, when he couldn't get into the apartment, he went and spoke to the apartment complex security guy um, and asked him to come up and break down the door. And the medical examiner report does say an apartment security man was reportedly present during the entry. So that's kind of interesting and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, But it says he immediately discovered her and called 911. He was briefly instructed to start CPR until he noticed a knife in her chest and then he was instructed to stop. Um, and this, I find this, this is about the actual scene. It says the apartment is well kept and clean. The inside lock to the front door, a common latch solid bar door guard is broken with the screws on the door loose, obviously forced when in a locked position. Throughout the entire apartment, there is no evidence of a struggle. Furniture and items appear in place. Nothing is obviously missing or disturbed. There are numerous valuables present, money keys, three laptops, um, and then it says that one of the laptops was open with wedding material on it and then there was a work computer with her work stuff on it. Um, there was nothing indicative of suicide on the computers or the rest of the apartment. The only way to exit the apartment with the front day- doorway locked is through a rear sliding patio door. The patio is six stories high and there is snow present with no tracks or footprints. So that kind of implies that no one could have got out that way. Yeah. Um, I'll just see. So it goes in at lists um, the texts that Sam sent her and that it also says they found prescription medication on a bed stand. There's alprazolam, clonazepam and, and zolpidem. So her journal was there and it goes in, it goes into um, detail about how they found Ellen. It says the decedent is on the hardwood kitchen floor located just inside the entrance. She's found with her head and some of her upper body shoulders resting against the lower half of the white kitchen cabinets next to the range, which indicates to me that she wasn't lying flat on the floor. Unless I guess he propped her up again, maybe, I don't know. But Upon further examination, she has a knife embedded in her left chest through her clothing. There are multiple stab wounds um, and it goes on. Her body is cool to the touch findings are consistent with the current position of the body there's blood on her head in her hair and on her neck the right hand has blood on it and there are photos on the Gavin Fish website of the scene and the blood there isn't a whole lot of blood there's scrolling down so there's you can see there's like a a small pool of blood on the floor there's some blood droplets on the floor and kind of a smear of blood on the cabinet but I feel like that isn't very much blood for someone who suffered the amount of injuries that she did yeah you would think there'd be like tons of blood yeah Um, it says there are two kitchen knives in the sink but they don't have any blood or tissue on them Um, and basically it looked like that she had been cutting up fruit around the time like there was cut up fruit and things like that in the sink but that's that's kind of the main interesting points from the medical examiner report uh, medical examiner report that we haven't covered yet there's some reports that sam called family members before calling 911 or before the police arrived one member is reported to be judge james c schwartzman who 
is chair of the Ethics and Professional Responsibility Group. Judge Schwartzman was also appointed by Governor Tom Wolf to the Court of Judicial Discipline in May 2018. So I guess that's like a family friend of theirs. So people have pointed out that it's weird that he would panic and kind of call a high power judge. Yeah. Which is a red flag to some people. Especially before he called 911. Yeah. Like you think that would be the most important call to make if you just randomly found your girlfriend dead in the kitchen. Yeah. Even if at that point he had still only thought she had like fallen and was unconscious. It's still like try to help her first. I don't know. And I feel like if he did actually try to go over there and help her, he would have seen the knife, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So there's a podcast on this case by the prosecutors. um, And according to them, Sam called his cousin and then his uncle, which is the judge. Uh, Well, I said he was a family friend. but So the uncle arrived at the apartment complex one minute after Sam ended the 911 call. So kind of weird that like we were saying that he called his uncle who's a judge and had him come over like if you just walked in on this scene and she fell by accident or if something bad happened to her I that wouldn't have been a concern of mine I don't think I'm assuming that maybe the cousin was the uncle's son so maybe he called the cousin he's like hey is he there and he's like yeah okay yep yep okay I'll call him so yeah yeah so as we mentioned in the medical examiner report, it does say that the security man reportedly was there when Sam broke down the door. I actually believe that this isn't true and this is kind of a big um, reason why some people think Sam was involved, that he told people the security guard was there and it insinuates that you know he wasn't alone and someone was there to witness it. But the guard, I believe, has spoken to reporters and kind of media sources since this and has said that he wasn't there when Sam broke down the door and that he actually refused to leave his kind of guard post to help him, which makes sense to me because, you know, you can't just be as a security guard for an apartment complex going to break into people's apartment if they ask you to. <laughs> like yeah. it's not, you know, it's not his job to do that. And there are some photos online too of who I assume is probably the security guard when the police get there. So he is kind of down in the foyer letting them in, it looks like. Um, yeah, probably where he's supposed to be. Yeah, so I have read too that there's no way to really verify this either way because they there are cameras in the building but only at the entrances and kind of the exits. There's no cameras in the hallway so you can't see who was up there when he broke in. But it's a very interesting point and one that I know has been discussed a lot in relation to the actual timeline of this case. Yeah. So following an autopsy, Ellen was found to have suffered 20 stab wounds with 10 found on her back and neck, a knife with a 12.5, a knife with a 12 and a half centimeter blade was found in her chest at the depth of 10 centimeters. So like we we're saying before, it's a pretty big knife and two and a half inches of it were still sticking out. Yeah. So even like the blade alone is 12 and a half centimeters. I'm assuming the kind of handle is yeah. similar. So like it's a big knife. It's not just a small paring knife or something like that that you may miss. There's, yeah. 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 And <laughs> the the knife was a Cutco brand steak knife. So there's pictures. I would go look at the pictures online if you can, because it really makes you be like, how is this a suicide? It shows just all the, it's on like a mannequin or something. It's not the actual it's not that, yes they're yeah. not actual crime scene photos they're kind of I guess recreations of yeah so it shows like the knife and kind of like how deep it went in with each stab wound but it really makes you be like there's no way someone could do this to themselves yeah and even like the position of the neck like it's 
yeah, it's crazy. I definitely recommend going to check it out. Like some of the photos, they they've they've put all the stab wounds together, so you can kind of see where they were concentrated, um, the depth that they were in her body. Like it's a it's a very comprehensive recreation of the injuries that she suffered. Yeah, and I did see someone point out. I was reading like theories online that even though it does say she was stabbed in the back, however many times, there's no stabs in her actual back. It's more like at the back of her neck and head. So. Mm. That's why the suicide theory is plausible to some people because they are places that she could technically reach. It's not like a spot in the middle of her back that would have been impossible to reach. But I, when still I was think listening, it would be hard to do. To the prosecutor's podcast on this, they said the same thing. They're basically like, "It is possible. This, you know, this could be a suicide. She could have reached those places. But why would you? Like, if you wanted to really kill yourself, and why would you bother? You, there's many places she could have stabbed herself in an easier." Do you know what I mean? Like an easier way to get it done. Yeah. And she had a bunch of medications that she could have overdosed on. Mm. There's a lot of easier ways. Um, so according to the Generation Y podcast, the only DNA that they found on the knife was Ellen's though. So police interviewed Ellen's family about her state of mind before she died. Her mother said they had spoken at 7 a.m. on the day of her death while they were both going to work. Sandra said their conversation was pleasant. Sandra did say that Ellen had been struggling with something since the end of 2010 and that she had urged her to get professional help. It's also believed that Ellen told her parents she wanted to move back home a month before she died. So Ellen had begun seeing a psychiatrist named Ellen Berman. And since there's multiple Ellens, obviously, we'll just refer to the psychiatrist as the psychiatrist. Ellen only attended three appointments with the psychiatrist on January 12th, 17th, and 19th, so just days before she died, essentially. And it was kind of weird. Uh, It's weird that how frequently that was, like the 17th and the 19th. Yeah. I wonder if something was going on that she felt like she needed to go back right away. Another appointment had been scheduled for January 27th. The psychiatrist said that Ellen presented with severe anxiety and that she had been experiencing it for two months. The psychiatrist said that Ellen was having trouble at work and that she felt pressured and overwhelmed. Ellen had also been struggling with some difficult students, and she wasn't sure whether she should quit her job or attempt to work it out. The psychiatrist was in the process of developing a treatment plan for Ellen, and Ellen's mother had also been in touch with the psychiatrist as she had expressed concerns about her daughter. The psychiatrist has said that there were never any suicidal thoughts expressed by Ellen and that she had only good things to say about Sam. The psychiatrist asked if Samuel had ever been abusive, and Ellen denied that there had ever been any verbal or physical abuse. Ellen was uneasy about taking medication, and she was first prescribed Zoloft, and then she switched to Xanax. Um, It seems like maybe that she was prescribed these before seeing the psychiatrist, because it seems like it would have been a short time frame for her to be starting and switching medications, but I'm not really sure on that. If she... Uh, yeah, I don't know either. It, like, it's just seems it kind of implies that the psychiatrist was the one to prescribe these to Ellen, but that was in a one week time frame. Surely, maybe she prescribed it and then she never took it and was like, "Oh," because I know people who've kind of done that, where they'd be like, "Oh, I'm scared to take this because like I heard bad things about it," and then the, yeah. they're, maybe they're like, "Oh, well, maybe how about this?" But so maybe she never ended up really taking any of them, but just like got the prescription changed. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Because it is weird because it seemed like she was going weekly, but then there was that one like 17th and then the 19th. I don't know. Very, yeah, very strange. Um, 
Ellen apparently had no success with either either medication and was prescribed Ambien and Klonopin by the psychiatrist to help her sleep. The death investigation report into Ellen's case notes that she was anxious, insecure, not sure of herself, and was not liking how she felt. Interestingly, the day of Ellen's death was the same day that school grades were due to be handed in, so that might have been something that gave her some more pressure. Um, Police searched Ellen's computer for any clues as to what happened to her. In December 2020, she or someone using her computer searched for the following things. Suffocation, suicide methods, sex, fantasy, death, Zoloft, Prozac, um, sertraline, sertraline, weight gain, depression, bath death, electrocuted to death trying to Twitter in the bath, quick suicide, euthanasia, painless suicide. When it says that they, she searched for those, she searched for some of those terms, but she also read some of the other articles. So I'm pretty sure she didn't search for electrocuted to, da- to death trying to Twitter in the bath, but she read an article about that. So they've included, they've included. Kind of like her history as well. Yeah, basically her search and browsing history. Yeah, because that was like bath death and then that. Yeah. But also how she searched um, sertraline. And weight gain, maybe that could have been one thing with the medication. Like maybe she looked that up and saw that causes weight gain. Was like, I don't want to take that because I don't want to gain weight. So then they switched the medication. Yeah, just seems like she was concerned about stuff like that. So they did conduct toxicology investigation into her death. It says that she was negative for benzos, fentanyls, and opiates, but that she did have zolpidem and clonazepam in her system. So it says there was trace amounts of zolpidem and. Um, clonazepam was present so that seems to be all it's only a one-page toxicology report so that seems to be kind of all that was found in her system at the time yeah and she was prescribed both of those yeah so following the autopsy the philadelphia medical examiner's office initially ruled the case as a homicide however the next day the philadelphia police department backtracked and stated that The death of Ellen Greenberg has not been ruled a homicide. Homicide investigators are considering the manner of death as suspicious at this time. But then the case was reversed and officially ruled a suicide in February 2011. So one year after Ellen died in January 2012, Dr. Cyril Wecht gave his opinion on the case. I feel like most of you guys will know who that is because he always seems to pop up on true crime TV and media. We've definitely talked about him before. I feel like he did Aunt Diane. Am I wrong on that? I feel like he mm, didn't. I feel like, assimil- yeah. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, he's probably best known for his criticism of the Warren Commission's findings concerning the assassination of JFK. So he did a five-page report on Ellen's um, case. I'll put it all on the blog. We won't, won't read the whole thing because it's long, but he just <laughs> goes into what we've already spoken about, how basically the door was locked, the knife that was found, um, how the mother knew that Ellen was struggling with something. So he does kind of address maybe the mental health issues that she was facing at the time. Um, <clears throat> there is He does talk about that Ellen emailed a friend on the day that she died and the friend said, yeah, you're getting out early, you know, meaning about the blizzard and finishing school early. And Ellen wrote, thank goodness, which I think is a pretty, you know, normal reply for someone who gets to finish work a bit early. Yeah. Um, he he goes in and he lists the, all the wounds that she had. Um, anyway, so he just basically re- goes through her case again and it says, um, a suicide victim will rarely stab herself through her clothing. Instead, she will open her shirt to expose the skin. Stabbing through clothing may indicate homicide. It is not known if fingerprints on the knife were taken and examined. And his 
um, opinion of the case following his review is the results of the autopsy and the accounts from the investigation based upon reasonable degree of medical certainty. It is my professional opinion that the manner of death of Ellen Greenberg is strongly suspicious of homicide. So that was his um, determination for the case. <clears throat> it's interesting about the clothing thing, like that they that you yeah. like move the clothing when you're gonna suicide. I guess you probably would. I've never really thought about it, but you would think if there's less things to cut through, it's probably just like a subconscious like, thing that you do. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there was also a forensic scientist named Henry Lee who is known for testifying for the defense in the O.J. Simpson case. He had the same opinion as Dr. Wecht. He said the number and types of wounds and bloodstain patterns observed are consistent with a homicide scene. So Ellen's parents always tried to get kind of um, media attention for her case and to keep it out there. In 2019, in October, her parents filed a civil suit against the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office and against Dr. Marlon Osborne. That was the pathologist who had conducted the autopsy originally. They requested that Ellen's manner of death be changed from suicide to either homicide or undetermined. Her mother, Sandra, said, we want to see justice prevail. She would never hurt herself. She would never hurt anyone else. She was a kind, loving ray of sunshine. So one of the key arguments in the lawsuit came from new pieces of evidence, which was a 3D anatomical recreation, which I think may be what is on the Gavin Fish website, which illustrates the size, depth, and length of each wound, including her spinal cord. Um, Her father said the key wound in this whole thing is the spinal wound. And from what I know, the spinal wound on the back of the neck was in an upward direction, severing the spine, possibly damaging the brain. If you tried to do that yourself and put it behind your back, it would be very hard to do. In January 2020, a Philadelphia judge ruled that Ellen's parents could move forward with a lawsuit against the medical examiner to get her official cause of death removed from the record. Her father said at that time, there's a murderer out there, a killer, someone who brutally attacked someone who brutally attacked somebody with multiple stab wounds and let her bleed to death and left her for dead. So the Greenbergs have retained an attorney named Joe Pedraza. He's been very vocal in this case. He said some of the wounds are virtually impossible to be self-inflicted and certainly at least two of the wounds from behind are so devastating as to render Ellen incapable of defending herself and could have been by themselves sufficient to kill her. He, his um, argument was that two of the wounds to the back of the neck would have rendered her paralyzed. I'm not entirely sure if that has been medically proven to be true, but that's what he's saying. And he's also spoken about um, the new technology that they've used. It says, what we have done is we have literally transposed all of Ellen's dimensions from height, weight and everything and each of the wounds that she's sustained from their exact length, their exact depth and exact angle of the entry of the weapon. He also spoke about the legal process that the Greenbergs have been enduring. He said, according to the trial court, a trial is needed because there are factual disputes which the court believes, if I resolved in the Greenbergs' favour, has to require the death certificate be changed from suicide to something else. The Attorney General released a statement around the 10th anniversary of Ellen's death. They said, our hearts go out to the Greenberg family on the anniversary of Ellen's traumatic death. At the urging of the family and following a conflict referral from the Philadelphia DA's office in 2018, our office reviewed the case and conducted an extensive investigation, and that did not uncover evidence to change the medical examiner's finding of suicide. There is no statute of limitation on homicide. However, and if any new evidence is brought forward, we believe it should be reviewed by the proper authorities. At this time, no such information has been shared with our office. So the Greenberg's trial was scheduled to begin in 2021, but I don't think it ever happened, probably due to COVID and delays and things like that. 
Joe Pedraza, the attorney, said in December 2021 that his team provided numerous additional materials to the Attorney General's office in response to the statement to the press that they would review new material if the material was supplied. <laughs> That's a lot of material. But basically they gave new new stuff to the Attorney General for them to look at based on their statement that they would review it. Um, there was an article on this case from December 2021 from Dateline. It said Joe Pedraza told Dateline that the materials included in the apartment bill building surveillance video, the declarations of two building employees, one of who I believe may be the security guard, and the videotaped de- depositions of doctors. It was – oh, maybe I'll just leave that sentence out. I'll just start that bit again. Um, mm. All right, so Joe Pedraza told Dateline that, that some of the materials they had given to the Attorney General included building surveillance and the declarations of two building employees. So I think one of those was probably the security guard. Um, and that they also interviewed Dr. Emery, who was a pathologist in the medical examiner's office in 2019. They said that one of their wounds that Ellen had suffered was administered when she had no pulse, so she was already dead, um, essentially, meaning she couldn't stab herself when she was already dead, mm-hmm. but that the wound was not the last stab wound Ellen sustained because a knife was found embedded in her chest. So their, their argument is that one of the other wounds would have been the one that killed her, but that there was an additional one in her chest. Yeah, like she can't stab herself when she's already dead. Yeah. He said, we remain dumbfounded about how a person could self-inflict at least two separate stab wounds when dead. So Josh, her father, also spoke to Dateline and he said, if they're post-mortem, that means they were done after death and Ellen could not have done them. Joe Pedraza also spoke to Fox as well as Dateline and he said something similar. He said, the neuropathologist testified that the wound in the sample that remains from Ellen's spine is post-mortem one that was administered after she was dead and have no pulse. If you consider that that was not the last wound because the knife was found in her chest, you'd have to agree that Ellen, while she was dead, somehow proceeded to stab herself in the back of the head, pull the knife out, and then stab herself in the chest, all without a pulse. So it's kind of interesting, you know, that all this is coming out 10 years after her death. Mm-hmm. So in August this year, so just a few months ago, Ellen's parents spoke to Fox News and gave some more information about why they believed her death was a homicide. They said she had defensive wounds on her wrist that went unacknowledged in the original autopsy. Her body had been moved and her left hand was gripping the knife in her chest, although she was right-handed. Evidence also suggested that she suffered stab wounds from two knives, but they only recovered the one that was stuck in her chest. They believed that evidence had the scene had been staged and that her body had moved. They said that there was dried blood that would have dripped sideways across her face if she died in the position that she was found. So I'm assuming her head was probably tilted to the side a little bit when she was found, but the blood hadn't dried in that position. Um, According to a statement from the former building manager, a crime scene cleanup crew came in and washed the apartment before forensic investigators had a chance to look through it. There's also some interesting information in a Fox article about Dr. Marlon Osborne, who was the pathologist who handled Ellen's case originally. It says that there was a 2021 deposition as part of a civil suit that the Greenbergs filed. Former medical examiner Dr. Sam Gelino testified that he'd received no complaints about Dr. Marlon Osborne, but department records show that Osborne was named in at least three reprimands. In one, his supervisor, a man named Gary Collins, pointed out serious and dangerous flaws in his work, including missing signs of a manual strangulation on a victim who had clearly been strangled and other mistakes. His manager had written, Dr. Osborne, these major discrepancies show an obvious, obvious lack of care for your work. 
So last month, September 2022, the Chester County District Attorney announced that it would be reviewing Ellen's case. Before that, in July, though, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office released a statement saying that they couldn't review the case because of an unspecified appearance of a conflict of interest. And that's why the Chester County District Attorney has now stepped in. Joe Pedraza, the attorney, said it's no surprise that the Greenbergs were greatly dissatisfied with the Attorney General's handling of their daughter's matter. They are hopeful the investigation by the Chester County DA will be thorough and objective. They will cooperate and provide whatever assurance they can to the Chester County DA if and when requested. They are hopeful of justice for Ellen. The Pennsylvania Attorney General's Office made a statement to the Greenbergs in July this year and it said, we wish Ellen's family nothing but the best and our office regrets that despite our extensive work, our additional efforts have not brought more closure to the questions around her death. So that is kind of it up to date with the legal proceedings, the timeline and the legal proceedings in Ellen's case. Um, Obviously, this is going to be ongoing, so we'll have to give you some updates as things happen. Um, But there are some other kind of interesting things to discuss in relation to her case. One of the kind of, it's not, well, I guess it's kind of a theory and kind you know, I guess we're kind of going to get into theories now, but one of the main theories I think is that Sam killed Ellen. Um, Mm -hmm. He seems to be the obvious person. You know, there's a lot of shady things going on around his story. Um, You know, maybe a few discrepancies like the Timberland boots, would you really wear them going to the gym? Why did he say the security guard was there when he wasn't? Um, And also just like who else could it be? Yeah, who else could it be? Like, no one else had access to the apartment. You know, one of the theories, I guess, was that it was someone who left fire the balcony, but that seems to have been disproven by the snow and the no footprints. But I guess one of the theories about why Sam could have done it is that he wanted to break off the relationship. Um, it was interesting that Ellen told her parents she wanted to move home a month before she died. Um, There was no mention Mm -hmm. of moving back with Sam. It seems like she wanted to move home alone, but then wedding planning websites were still found on her computer on the day she died. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, Sam did remarry after Ellen died. It was three years after her death though. It wasn't, you know, a month or two. He married a a, a melon. (laughs) (laughs) He married a woman named Caroline Faye Schnee on January 11th, 2014. So basically exactly three years after Ellen died. Um, this is their kind of wedding and marriage announcement from the New York Times. It says, Caroline Faye Schnee and Samuel Hankin Goldberg were married Saturday evening at the Plaza in New York. Mrs. Goldberg, 32, is a buyer of men's designer clothing at Scoop New York City, a clothing retailer. She graduated from Syracuse University. She's the daughter of Ruth Schnee and Martin Schnee, both of New York. The bride's father is an owner and the vice president of AMS Realty Company, a real estate management company in Great Neck, New York. Her mother is an independent real estate agent based in New York. Mr. Goldberg, 31, works in Stamford, Connecticut as a features producer for NBC Sports. He graduated from Temple University um, and then it just goes on to talk about Sam's family. So you can kind of tell by that that they were part of New York society, you know, having a marriage announcement in the New York Times, getting married at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. So there is an article from 2017 that features Caroline, who's changed her name to Caroline Schnee Goldberg. Um, It's from a website called motheruntitled.com. They do have at least one child, a daughter called Lola. I believe there have at least one other child since this article. But this is why Caroline was featured. It says, Caroline was one of a handful of women who inspired me to start Mother Untitled. Her daughter Lola and Bodhi, who I'm assuming is the author's child, 
were in a baby movement class together. I had gone back to consulting two days a week, but was getting comfortable owning the decision to mostly be at home. And then I met Caroline, who after 12 years in fashion, had decided to pause to be at home with her daughter. Her immediate warmth, sincerity, and general coolness in talking about her career, her choice to be home, getting comfortable with said choice and her family made me instantly more confident that this chapter of my life was going to be full of smart, interesting women. So they go in and they interview Caroline about her life. Anyway, this I've pulled this out because I know a lot of people have mentioned this online, but the author asks the question, every mother needs help to find balance. What does your village look like? So Caroline's answer in is, in addition to a glass of wine or two, my village is filled with great people. My husband, Sam, and this is a very interesting sentence, he's hands-on and present, a true lifesaver. He's also a star in the kitchen. <laughs> so I feel like that's a really unfortunate choice of words considering his other fiance died in the kitchen mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to do CPR on her. It's like I know it's just maybe <laughs> something that she just said, but a lot of people have pulled that out as well. That is a hardcore statement from considering what happened before. Yeah. So then she goes on to say that Sam has cooked most of the baby's meals for the first five months of her life. Like she goes on to rave about him as a they father. They just seem really annoying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Very annoying. When I read that article, I was like, oh, she's a bit insufferable really. Yeah. Like no one cares. <laughs> so in terms of like why Sam would have done it, the main maybe it was just a fight, maybe like it seems like a very – if it was a murder, it seems like a very frenzied attack um, probably not very well planned. Um, it just seems like there was a lot of hate behind whatever happened. I'm like so toward it in this case because I'm just like, if it is a murder, which I feel like it's not a suicide, but he's like the only choice it seems like. But I'm also not totally sold on him doing it either because for one, he's really dumb. And I feel like his... <laughs> I feel like his 911 call, like the way that he was acting, I feel like it was like genuine stupidity where as if he had planned it, he would have thought of better things to say, like instead of being like, oh, she fell. And then like, oh, she fell on the knife. Like if he was planning ahead, he would have thought of a better thing to say or something. Yeah. And also with the texts, like he was texting her very aggressively. And I was thinking if he did do do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like planning ahead he knows people are going to read these texts like when he try to seem more like a nicer person you'd be like hey what's happened are you all right like like what we said you'd probably be you'd be generally being nice rather than like "Ah, yeah like you better have an excuse yeah because that just doesn't look good so I don't know like I feel like there may have been cracks in their marriage especially based on her telling her mum she wanted to move home which she probably wouldn't do if you were planning on getting married to the person and didn't want to break but then her mother and her family have always spoke very glowingly about Samuel they said there was no issues um as far as they knew he was never abusive like obviously things can go on behind closed doors um but I don't know So I did find a little bit of a criminal background on Sam. It's from a little while ago. There's a website called Crime Scoop and this is from them. It says he has a criminal record in Arizona for primarily traffic violations with at least one charge of providing liquor to minors. He was also evicted by a landlord um, who attempted to bring as many as nine civil judgments against him. So no real violent criminal history, just some basic kind of things in his past. Yeah. So one other question that comes up a lot is how 
and the is basically about the lock and the door. How could the lock have been locked from the inside if Ellen had killed it? Like if if it wasn't suicide, who else would have locked it from the inside? Did the apartment somehow have the um, intruder who escaped via the balcony? We've spoken about how there was the fresh snow, so that basically is not what happened. Also, the balcony's six floors up. Like, yeah, it'd be pretty risky to, to climb down. And they'd have to jump from balcony to balcony. Like, surely there would have been some way to see if that was happening. Yeah. There's um, – so everyone's – like, I feel like for me this was one of the bigger – um, points to it being suicide. Like surely she must have done it if she was the only one inside the apartment who latched the door. But there are lots of videos that I've watched too about how you can actually latch these locks from the outside and how mm-hmm. you can unlock them from the from the outside as well, just with like a credit card type thing. Like literally takes seconds. I was actually shocked with how quickly you can do it. Yeah. Um, there's photos of the lock online. It does look damaged. It doesn't look destroyed. Um so you can see that kind of some of the paint of the door has come off like it's pulled away with the latch but both sides of the latch are essentially still pretty attached to the door. I know they said there were screws on the ground I believe but the latch both sides is still on the door. Yeah so it looks like he kicked in the door which like loosened it enough to be able to open it I guess Yeah. but yeah. it is easy enough to lock one of those locks from the outside whether it was Sam that did it or some other murderer who knows there was fox news did an article on the lock they spoke to pat diaz who served for 26 years as a miami-dade homicide detective and he said there is no way they broke into that apartment the left side lock would come off i guarantee it he also said there would likely be visible damage near the bottom handle he said this was not suicide this is usually someone with anger when you've got that many stab wounds someone was angry so I um, do agree with the last part, especially of it being a very angry death. Yeah. Um, so I guess the other theory is suicide. It's been said that Ellen's computer was still open on the wedding pages. She'd been cutting up fruit in the kitchen before she died. I don't really think either of those things mean that she wouldn't have taken her own life. Like there was obviously things going on with her. She seemed to not be coping very well, be struggling with anxiety um, for her to visit the psychiatrist three times in a week essentially seems a lot. And then even also I think for her mother to contact the psychiatrist and say I'm really worried about her, that indicates that there was a lot going on. Yeah. I was wondering because I know it was only the Ambien and the Klonopin in her system. I wonder if she had just started taking Klonopin because sometimes people do have like adverse reactions to drugs when you first start them. Like I just looked it up and it says – Controlled substance can cause paranoid or suicidal ideation and impair memory, judgment, and coordination. Combined with other substances, particularly alcohol, can slow breathing and possibly lead to death. And plus also her computer searches are interesting. Like I know that if someone looked at my searches, they'd be like, wow, that's <laughs> what's going on with her. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is interesting and may have pointed to her kind of mindset at the time. Like I, just a side note, I was thinking this today because – we're doing our next episode on Debbie Collier and I literally Googled in reference to that case, is it hard to burn a body? Because I just want to know for the podcast when we talk about it, but I'm like, even- man, if someone saw my search history, that'd be weird. Even the article that they mentioned was in her search history about the person twi- tweeting in the bath and dying. I'm sure I read that article at the time too. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just a crazy article, but there are some specific searches like suffocation and different things like that. So, 
you know, it could point to it. We um, did yeah. ask on our Instagram page if people believe this was murder or suicide and 99% of people said they believed it was murder and I think many of the 1% messaged me to say they'd accidentally hit the 1%. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like the majority of people feel this was a murder. Um, I, I have to say, and don't come at me for this, my initial thinking was that this was a suicide because I've seen so many strange suicides before but the more I have looked into this case, there are some discrepancies from Samuel's story which lead me to believe he was possibly involved. Um, so now I am probably less likely to believe it was a suicide. I don't even know what I think. I'm just like so baffled by it that I don't even have an opinion. Like I'm, I just really want to know what happened. If it was like she stabbed herself maybe two or three times, then I'd be like with everything else, I'd be like it's probably a suicide. But this amount of stab wounds and the location – I'm just like, how does someone do that to themselves unless she had like a real sort of like mental break or like something happened, like a hallucination or, but um, we'll get into that in a second too. But this is what I was talking about with the, the spinal injury. I saw a comment on Reddit that kind of talks a little bit about whether she could have been paralyzed or not from that one wound. Um, it says, Examiners looking at her possible spinal cord injury have come to different conclusions. Both of the examiners are highly qualified experts. The first said that the spinal cord sheath was damaged but not cut through. They thought that the damage could have caused her to become numb, meaning she might not have felt the other wounds, but not make it impossible for her to continue. The second pathologist to examine this this issue looked at the preserved piece of spinal cord and found that her cranial cavity had been penetrated and that her spinal cord had been severed. After the final stab wound, the knife was left in her chest. So if this second examination is correct, someone else would have had to do that. So basically the debate is, did that stab render her her paralyzed and kill her? Or did it make her numb where she couldn't feel the rest of the stabs and was able to just kind of continue stabbing? Yeah, very mysterious. It reminds me kind of of um, your your fave axe murder family case where the guy went about his daily routine even though oh, his, yeah, face the was, like, his head was busted in. Yeah, so it's like sometimes yeah. you just continue to do things even though you have severe damage. Yeah, yeah. Um, another theory that I found people talking about on Reddit was an Ambien theory. She did have um, Zolpidem in her system, which is Ambien. And I think we've all heard stories of people doing crazy shit on Ambien. Um, Like one comment said, I lean toward the Ambien theory, having done Ambien recreationally and knowing firsthand what intense trip it can be. It's supposed to keep your body still as part of its effect, but not everybody experiences that, just as not everybody experiences the hallucinogenic effects. Hence, all the stories about sleepwalking, sleep eating. She may not have even intended to hurt herself. She may have been stabbing at something else or something that she believed was on her back or something like that you can hallucinate literally anything um but some people have said well there's only trace amounts of ambient in her system like would that happen on trace amounts i don't know and also this would she take ambient at six o'clock at night or what you know what i mean like that's what someone else said i saved this one said also she was in the middle of making a salad at the appropriate time i might add that does not speak (laughs) ambient psychosis to me do you know what? But it could have been maybe she cut up the fruit earlier that day and she decided that she was really tired and she really wanted to go to bed early. Like there's, you know, there's reason. There could be reasoning for that. But it does seem like an unusual time to be taking Ambien. 
Yeah, or just maybe if she just started taking the Klonopin and Ambien mixed together, if she had like a bad reaction. I don't know. There's, I just like, I really have no idea with this case. Yeah, it just seems like it's, I feel like I say it a lot of the time, it's just a perfect s- storm of bad circumstances. Like they may have the dodgy medical examiner who didn't do the thorough job. Like there's just a lot of different things going on that kind of have messed with this case and messed with what the determination maybe should have been. Yeah, and like her fiancé seemed kind of like a douchebag but yeah. not necessarily a murderer. I don't know. Yeah. So, um yeah, that's it for Ellen's case essentially now. Yeah, I mean, the two there we'll link the two Reddit threads on the blog. I found some good case like some good discussion on it on Reddit. So, I'm not going to go through it all on here, but if you want to read more about what other people are thinking, there's a lot of good comments on these two threads, so we'll link them. And when I asked people for what their theories were, like the actual specific theories, it, I'm I'm pretty sure every single one said it was Sam. Some people said it's the husband, which I'm assuming means Sam, you know, every like there isn't one that I can remember where someone said, "Oh, it must have been Joe Smith who she worked with because, you know, they they had a volatile relationship." The only suspect that anyone could name was Sam. So, but it's also like he's just the easiest one to pin it on, but like when you really look at it, like I don't know, there's nothing like screaming like it was definitely him to me. But also a whole another thing is that isn't talked about a lot it's like she seemed to be having a lot of stress at work mm. like was she having problems with someone at work like what was going on at work that was causing her so much stress and even for there to only be her dna on the knife the other um, person would have had to be wearing gloves or something i don't know yeah i don't know you think though for such yeah i don't know i guess but for such a frenzied attack especially when the knife was left in her body it wasn't like the knife was pulled out and washed for there to be someone else I don't know. Yeah, I guess it could have been gloves, but it just seems unusual that there was no other DNA. And so I was like, was this person sweating? There was no sweat. There was no other DNA anywhere. Why did she have no defensive wounds? Like, I guess, you know. But then her parents said there was defensive wounds. On her wrist. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess no defensive wounds in the autopsy reported, though, which I guess comes down to also maybe dodgy reporting. Yes. So all these (sighs) questions in office, like, difference in reporting just shows that it was kind of like botched from the start i feel like you could have one theory if you went off the medical examiner reporting and then a second theory if you went off what the parents are saying happened yeah yeah so i guess that's it yeah that's it well this will obviously be ongoing um yeah for a long i'm assuming it's probably going to drag out for a long time it seems to have dragged already for over a decade so hopefully things start moving quickly Yeah, I'll be interested to know what everyone thinks on this one. Like I said, I really have no idea. So um, let me know your theories. Maybe I'll see if I agree with any of them. (laughs) But I hope that um, Ellen does get justice in her family because it must be awful for her family. Because I know if if this was me, my family would be like, there's no way that she stabbed herself 20 times. Like, hello. Yeah. And they seemed like a very close family, especially with Ellen being the only child. Yeah. They seemed like a very close-knit, caring, loving family. Yeah. All right. So everything that we talked about will be on the blog. Like we said, there's that really good website, Gavin Fish. Um, We'll link that on the blog with the Reddit threads, all the pictures, everything. Um, There'll be lots of info on there at truecrimesocietyblog.com. You can follow us on Instagram at truecrimesociety, and you can follow our personal accounts at TCSOlivia, and mine is StephSum underscore. Leave us a review if you haven't already, a nice one to make us feel happy, and share the podcast with all your friends, all your family, everyone. Share with everyone you know, and 
check out our sponsors and that's it i was rushing that because i'm sick so (laughs) (laughs) um all right so thank you guys for listening be nice to each other peace out see ya (laughs) Oh, 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 oh,